Alrighty then, let's do this. This is part three of my little three-part series on my experience with anxiety medication, uh, antidepressants specifically, between 1996 and 2005. So dudes and dudettes, welcome back to The Anxious Truth. This is podcast episode 147. Uh, This is part three. I'm going to talk about my experience with antidepressant withdrawal, what happened when I stopped taking the medication. So catch a couple of things to get done before we do that. This is part three of a little three-part series, like I said. So go listen to parts one and two before you listen to this one, please. Just it'll it'll really put the whole thing in perspective. And it'll explain my stance on medication. And, you know, I mean, I'll, I don't want to go over it again. So I did two podcast episodes before this, 145 and 146. Go listen to those, please, uh, before you listen to this one. And the other thing that I want to say is... This is not meant to freak anybody out, but this is a story that I have to tell. And honestly, I kind of, I kind of only want to tell it this one time, one more time, and I don't really want to tell it again. Um, so I'm going to do it because I feel like I have to. It's uh, people have asked me to tell it, and I'm going to tell it just by myself into a microphone, not on another podcast, not talking to somebody else. I'm give it, I'm give you what I got here, and you could take take what you can from it, learn what you can from it, but it's not meant to freak anybody out. So this was my experience. It doesn't mean it will be yours, right? It doesn't mean it will be yours. Uh, I can't tell you what your experience will be if you decide to stop taking antidepressants. But I can tell you this before we start. I want to definitely want to say this. First of all, it's my experience. And if you did not have this experience and you have not had problems taking antidepressants and, and you're happy with your decision to do that, then I'm happy for you and I respect you. So there's no reason to roll in with, well, I didn't have that problem. Okay. We're talking about my thing at the moment, but I'm glad that you didn't have that problem. Um, My experience does not invalidate yours, nor does yours invalidate mine. We all coexist and respect each other, I hope. So things that I want to go over before I get into the story. First of all, like I said, it's not meant to freak anybody out. And and just because things happen to me doesn't mean they're going to happen to you or not happen to you. I can't say. We can't say. Nobody knows. But in the end, I'm not going to go into every, like, horrific, scary, like, gory detail. I'm going to give you an overview of what I went through over the period of, you know, about a year or so when I decided to stop taking the medication, which was in 2005. And if you want to know why I stopped, you can go back and listen to podcast episode 146. I tell that story. Uh, But I decided I was done with it. So the one thing that you have to remember is, and I will freely admit this, that the experience that I had was not a good one. I did not have a good withdrawal experience at all. In the end, I'm happy that I had it. I will say that unequivocally, I would do it again today if I had to, to become who I am now and like learn the lessons that I had to learn. So I would, I truly mean that. I would do that again. But it was not a good experience at all. However, I went very quickly between the time that I decided to stop the medication and the time that I took my last dose was no more than about maybe five weeks five or six weeks, maybe. And that was on the advice of my doctor who at the time, and, and he's still my doctor and I love him. Uh, but he was giving me the best information that he had. He thought he was giving me good information. And the, and the tapering plan was kind of straight out of the GlaxoSmithKline, you know, marketing materials. And it was too fast. So if you decide that you want to stop taking your antidepressant, and that is a decision that you have, you know, come to, I support you on that, then go slow. If you think you're going too slow, go slower than that. Like, this is not a race. It is not a race. This is, and I'm going to talk about this, the things that I learned 
you know, along the way. It is not about getting it out of your body. It's not about detoxing quickly. It's not about getting rid of the poison. It has, it has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. This has to do with, you know, your brain re-regulating to its natural state when you take away the medication. And that just takes time. For some people, it's faster. For some people, it's slower. So go slow. If you go slow on your taper, much slower, if I had gone much, much slower, if I had that information, maybe I would have had a different experience. I'm not saying it would have been avoided, but maybe I would have had a different experience. All right, so I'm not going to, I'm trying not to freak anybody out here. I don't want to start a debate if this was not your experience. I'm happy that it wasn't, uh, but this was mine and people have asked to hear it. So here we go. I, uh, when I got to the point where I did not want to take the medication anymore, I, I went and saw my doctor because I knew enough that I couldn't just stop taking it. I knew that. Um, and by the way, again, just a reminder, I'm talking about antidepressant. I'm not talking about benzodiazepines. I have no experience with that. So this is all about SSRIs. Uh, Paxil in the U.S., P-A-X-I-L. So I went to the doc, um, furious, kind of really upset the day after I had that sort of epiphany that said, I got to get off this medication. And, uh, and I said, I need to get off this. And he said, Why? And I told him, like, everything in my life is wrong right now, and I can only think that it's got to be the medication. He didn't like it, honestly. My doctor did not like the idea. You know, he was of the mindset that, like, no, you've been taking this for nine years. You just have this imbalance, and you need to take it for the rest of your life. I don't think it's a good idea. And in the end, he was, look, he was trying to protect me. I get that. He was trying to do the best thing he could for his patient. But I said, well, I'm going to do this whether you do it with me or not. I kind of need your help, <laughs> but you know, if you don't, if you don't think I should do this, I'm going to do it anyway. So I'll just get another doctor. And yeah, it was a little bit of a come to Jesus moment between us. And he was like, okay, but so here's how we're going to do it. And he gave me kind of the tapering plan. And it was too fast. It was too fast. It took me about five weeks, roughly, uh, end of the summer into the fall of 2005. I, I dropped my dose by 50% at first. Then I dropped my dose by another 50%. Then I spent a week or two kind of cutting pills a little bit which was my own thing. I thought I was helping by doing that. But in the end, I went too fast. And yes, I started to experience, I'm going to give you the broad view as I go through this story of what I experienced. I'm not going to give you specific, like, let me give you hair raising tales of withdrawal. You don't need to hear those. But I'm just going to be honest and tell you what I experienced. I started to experience physical symptoms as soon as I started dropping my dose, right? So that was a big drop. 50%, it was a huge drop. I was dropping half the dose instantaneously after being on the medication for nine years. And I immediately started to feel, within a couple of days, I started to feel physical symptoms. Uh, there were physical effects of that. Now, he had told me that I might feel kind of crappy. Like, that was sort of, you know, what everybody knew at the time. Like, yeah, you know, you're going to have a few weeks. You're not going to feel so great. They used to call it the Paxil flu. You might feel like you have the flu. You might get headaches. You're not going to feel so great. But once you're done, you know, in a couple of weeks, you'll be good to go. All right. So I started having uh, physical issues right, almost right away within days of dropping the first dose. But I kept going. And they, they really manifested as the same sensations and symptoms that I would get if I forgot to take the medication. Because sometimes I would. I would forget for a day or two. Sometimes for three days. But then I would know right away because I would start to feel you know, depersonalize, and I'd have that sort of disequilibrium thing going on. That was immediately that, oh, yeah, that's right, I forgot to take it. And I would take the medication, and an hour or two later, it would be fine. Anyway, I started feeling those things right away. That was the first thing, was physical. I started feeling disequilibrium. I, my eyes weren't keeping up with my head when I would turn my head. I was getting that foggy, super foggy brain fog thing, like I was looking at the world through like a cloud, you know, or, or, or cotton, um, it sucked, but I'm like, well, this, I, this is part of the deal, so I got to go through. So I kept going. And by the end, 
as I went through and I was dropping my dose, dropping my dose and then cutting pills at the end. And, and, you know, four or five weeks later, maybe six weeks, I don't remember exactly. I was done. I took my last dose and I was definitely feeling physical sensations at that point. Now, physical sensations that I never got, I was fortunate. I never had brain zaps. You know, people talk about these like brain zaps, head zaps, shocking feeling. It's like an electric jolt in your head. I never had that. So I was fortunate, but that's a super common thing, but I didn't have that. I had all the other sensations. And mainly for me, they were visual. They were balance related. They were almost coordination related. I wasn't, you know, incapacitated, but it was a very uncomfortable way to go through my day. And uh, that's how everything started. Then I would say within the first week or so after the very last dose, you know, I'm like, well, I guess I just have to get through this for a couple of weeks. Things started getting dicier because all of a sudden I noticed that I was starting to feel like anxiety again, which I, I would have expected, you know, in the end. In retrospect, I know that because when I took the medication in 1996, I didn't fix anything. I just masked it. So I started feeling anxious again, uh, kind of that low level, simmering all the time. And that started getting worse and worse as time went on. And I also noticed that I started having these mood swings, like my mood started swinging. Not like super, I wasn't becoming like psychopathic or anything like that. That's not a thing, by the way. Just so you know, that's not a thing. Um, nobody becomes like psychotic because of this. It's not a thing. But, you know, I noticed that my moods were swinging. And after nine years of not feeling emotions, which I talked about in episode two, and uh, I mean, podcast episode 146, second part of this series, after nine years of not feeling emotions, I was suddenly feeling them again. I was starting to feel them strongly. So in retrospect, was I having mood swings or was I just reacclimating to feeling emotions and they felt big to me? And I couldn't tell. I knew that was a thing, right? I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have to get used to this again. I'm starting to feel things again. So that's how I sort of started trying to rationalize it. But then it got worse. And I don't know if anybody remembers uh, a TV series called Six Feet Under about a family that owned a, a funeral home. They were in the funeral business. And I watched this season, the series finale of Six Feet Under, and I had no emotional investment in this series, by the way. I'd never watched it before. But for whatever reason, on one Sunday night, I happened to be alone in my living room, and it was on, and, and, I, and I sort of like half paid attention. And the ending sequence on, in the final, the series finale of Six Feet Under, you guys can go and Google it or see if it's on YouTube or whatever. I watched it, and I literally was inconsolable all night, just crying, tears streaming down. I was, I was a mess. And I was an emotional basket case for days after that, a TV show that I didn't even follow. I had no investment in these characters. I had no idea. But then I really knew something was wrong. And plus, I was starting to get to the point where I was starting to feel emotions so strong. And then I was starting to get angry quickly. And then I would get sad. And then the sadness started getting deeper. And then all the time, the anxiety was ramping up as well. That general background anxiety was starting to ramp up. And it was that was now starting to get me nervous also. So... I was, I was running into situations where after nine years of being flat, suddenly I was always amped up, right? Always amped up. I was always anxious. I was always having mood swings. I was emotional. I was angry. I was all kinds of stuff. Um, and then I still had all the physical sensations, the, the, the dizzy. It's not, it wasn't dizziness, that disequilibrium, the visual disturbances. I was getting headaches. Um, I had stomach problems. I don't normally have stomach problems. I did have stomach problems at that point. I had some days when everything was fine. I had some days when I couldn't go far from a bathroom, not to get too graphic, but um, I had stomach problems. So, uh, you know, then I started having weird muscle twitches and pains and little, you know, nothing that today, if it happened to me, I wouldn't think twice about it, but, but it was all new back then. And I had never had them before. Not, I wasn't, um, 
incapacitated or anything like that. But I would have like, all of a sudden my eye would twitch for two days, three days. Then I would get a twitch in my lip. Then I would get a twitch like, in, I remember getting a twitch in the palm of my hand. Like, how does it palm of your hand twitch? It was weird. Um, I would have like my quads, my right quad every once in a while, I'd get a twitch there. So I started experiencing all these weird things. Um, and, and that was bothering me. So it was all starting to add up the, the, the big emotions, the inability to control my, not inability to control, that wasn't crazy, but, you know, feeling these big emotions and these mood swings and the anxiety and th that level was going up and up and up and then all these physical sensations. And then I started having panic attacks again. And I remembered what they felt like. And, you know, I wasn't as, I wasn't good at it like I am now. So, you know, I was in a bad spot. I was in a very bad spot. I was, I was quickly becoming kind of emotional, mental, physical scrambled eggs. And that was all chemical. And I knew it. I knew it was. You know, I had a feeling like this is nothing I can do about this. I'm going to ride through this. But suffice to say that it was not like the doctor said, you know, two weeks you might struggle a little bit and then you're fine. It wasn't anything like that because now I'm, I'm a month off my last dose and the wheels are just quickly falling off. I remember on a Sunday night having to go out the door uh, and go over to my office. At the time, that was kind of normal. A data center is 24-7. I had to run over there for something small. I wouldn't have been there long. And I had a hard time getting out the door. And I realized, like, oh, this isn't right. I'm starting to feel agoraphobic again because I was so, I, I was getting so worn down and so sensitized to all the, the feelings, the, the anxiety, starting to have panic attacks again, the physical sensations. I was getting afraid of them now. So, and it was all magnified. It felt so much more than I remembered it was even before the medication. So that's kind of the trajectory that I was on, that things just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it kind of got to the point where, you know, I, it got really bad. Like I felt like I was always sort of uncontrollable. I was always either crying or, or panicking or, you know, angry and the stupid, like my eyes felt like they weren't working and I felt dizzy all the time and, and my stomach, you know, running to the bathroom half the time and, you know, the twitches. And then I started feeling irregular heartbeats, which wasn't, wasn't Paxil related. It definitely was not, I was not having irregular heartbeats. I was just I was anxious. I was afraid. I was super sensitized. You know, I felt like nothing was working right. And I would have these points where I would feel like I was just crawling out of my own skin, like I could not get away from myself. That was very unpleasant. Then I started to get depressed. So like my moods would swing, you know, I'd start to get sad, but then I started to get deeper than that. And there's a difference between sadness and depression, but I started to feel depression like I used to feel before the medication. That, that was scary. That scared me. Because uh, I didn't want to go back there again. But really, in retrospect, what I was dealing with was not so much depression, but I was starting to get fixated and I started to have very irrational and obsessive and obtrusive thoughts that were all centered around death, dying, existence, and, and nihilistic thoughts, you know, of what is this all about. You know, it, it was really hard. That became super crippling. That was really difficult because I would just, out of the blue, like the bottom would fall out and I would have this like, well, what's it all, what's the purpose of all this? And it was, these, those thoughts were so powerful. And I don't know where they were coming from. Like I'd never had that problem before, but I had it now. And uh, I remember like sitting in my kitchen, my kids were, were young at the time, um, 2005, 2006, you know, so six and four years old. And I remember sitting and looking at them at the kitchen table and I would not only be like internally in it screaming because of the realization that I won't be here anymore, but I would look around and say, oh my God, they won't be here either. One day we'll all be gone. And it was terrible. These were horrible, crushing, terrifying thoughts to me. 
and I started getting obsessed with it. And I would, I was Googling all kinds of crazy spiritual stuff and afterlife things. And I was desperately looking for proof that like, there's something after this. And it, it was really hard and that fueled more anxiety. And then the physical symptoms got more intense and the, the panic was getting more intense and coming more, more frequently. And I started to feel depressed again. Although again, I think the depression was more a result of just being beaten down by what I was going through. And I became kind of non-functional. I'm not going to lie. But here's the funny thing about that. So I stopped taking it. And by the time we hit, you know, January 2006, like the wheels had been completely off on me. But I also made a major change in my life, which was the, the business that I allowed to pretty much crumble while I was on Paxil for nine years. I merged it with another local business with a guy. And we'd been done, the two companies had done business for a very long time. So it was a natural thing and it was the right thing to do. And I would have to get up in the morning and find a way, find, you know, which I had not done for many years working for yourself. You have your own schedule. I'd get up in the morning and go to an office, same building the data center was in. So it was no, not new, but I would have to go there every morning, you know, be there at eight o'clock or nine or whatever. I don't remember when we started. And that was so hard. The first day was one of the hardest days. First of all, it was my worst nightmare come true. I was working for somebody else. And second of all, I didn't have a choice. I had to wake up and go. I was having major sleep problems, huge sleep problems. I don't sleep as it is, but in those days when I was going through withdrawal, I'd fall asleep at, you know, one o'clock in the morning, open my eyes at 3.30, couldn't go back to sleep. I wore a sleep mask. I listened to binaural beats. I did everything I could. And like some nights I would sleep okay, but a lot of nights just not so much. So I'd be exhausted. I'd be terrified. You know, that first day was one of the hardest experiences I ever had. And just feeling like complete and utter scrambled eggs and useless having to go there. That was really hard. And then I started to build crazy rituals like I would have to, I would go to the office and I would, you know, just get there as quick as I could. And I, you know, I would drive there thinking, can I feel my legs? You know, I'd like all kinds of crazy thoughts. And it was almost uncontrollable. I will tell you that I've lived through all that stuff before, right? And, you know, and even after that, when I had to do all the hard work of recovery, I was dealing with intrusive thoughts and all that stuff. It, that was part of the deal, but this was different. I can definitely tell you it was different. I, I, you know, I'm going to say when it's physiologically driven, when it's chemically driven, there's a difference. It was intense and it was relentless and there was nothing I could do. There was absolutely nothing I could do. And I know I talk all the time about not trying to stop the thoughts and not trying to stop the sensations. But when you start to get good at those, those techniques, you do get a little bit of relief. You don't get relief because the thoughts go away or the sensations go away, but you get relief because you understand like, oh yeah, I'm working on a thing. I'm making progress. You're standing up to it to a certain extent, right? So you're taking a little bit of control, and that brings you some relief because you, your confidence is growing. In this situation, it was just surviving. It was just surviving, and that was difficult for me. So I did that, um, and I would go to the office, and I would, I would go through my, my crazy ritual. I was taking fish oil and all kinds of vitamins, and, you know, I was only eating certain foods, and I would get there and, and make my green tea, my decaf. Of course, decaf had to be decaf, green tea, antioxidant tea, so it was red, and I'd put natural calm, the magnesium powder in it. Uh, by the way, don't take too much of that stuff or talk about not being able to leave the bathroom, just FYI. And I did, uh, you know, I would do all that stuff just as an F in an effort to try and get through. And I would sit at my desk and I, I, I set everything up so that like you couldn't see what I was doing from the door. Not because I was goofing off, but like I would spend half of my day to be totally honest with you. You know, I got my work done. But I got done what needed to get done, but I'd spend the time with my headphones on. I would obsessively listen to, like, satellite radio. Um, I had a couple of, like, talk radio shows, stupid, like, shock jock stuff, Opie and Anthony, Ron and Fez, like, comedy things. And, like, how weird is it that, because I never get attached to 
artists, musical artists or anything like that. But in that case, they were really, I felt like they were getting me through. So I would sit and listen to those things with my headphones on. And I would have like a candle burning for the, for the scent. I needed the scent of the candle to, to try, try to, you know, get me back to reality sometimes. Not that I was detached from reality, but I, I felt like it was something that I could do to kind of soothe myself. And I would spend, you know, one, you know, one window doing the work that I had to do, which was technical in nature. And the other side, I'd have the Paxil Progress website open. So Paxil Progress doesn't exist anymore, but that was a website that was dedicated to uh, antidepressant withdrawal. It was just a forum, a discussion board. And Paxil Progress was, was a lifesaver. It was my lifeline. And I would spend all day long. So those of you who are like in the grips of your anxiety problems right now that are like in my Facebook group and spent all day long just in the Facebook group just waiting for new posts and seeing what people are saying and wanting to read and participate. I understand that. I see you because I was you, except I was you on Paxil Progress. So I'd spend the whole day on that website, the whole day. I would get home and I would go back on the website and on the weekends I was on the website. Like I just needed something. I was hanging on to anything to get through the experience. And that that is part of when the positives start to come in, because on Paxil Progress, I made friends that I still have today that I, I love dearly. And, you know, some of them are listening to this. So for those of you who watched me do this in real time, like I love you guys. And my friend Lori from New Jersey who ran the site, um, she taught me how to help people. Like if it wasn't for that experience and and getting on that website, which I was so active on and you know, over time as I started to get better. And I'll tell you what happened. I'll, I'm, I'm going to take you through to the, you know, kind of how it started to get better and what happened. When I got on that website and started to, first I just, everything I could get, I just needed from the website and I got that, right? And I got that. It was very supportive people. And then a lot of good information, a lot of common sense taught me a tremendous amount about what was real and what wasn't about withdrawal. And it gave me a place to stand on where I was able to say, okay, and you know what? I could start to think about this a little bit more rationally now. Because time was also passing. So by the time I was four or five months into this, time is taking its effect and your body does adjust over time. So it started to get better with time. And that's what I learned more than anything else from the people there. I learned that time fixes the withdrawal thing, not anything else. And trust me, I was surrounded by thousands of people who were trying every possible thing they could think of. Electrical stimulation, magnetic stimulation, magnetic bracelets, copper bracelets, crystals, herbs, supplements, tart cherry extract. I mean, it was the gamut was there. Uh, there was somebody on that site at that point that refused to go to her place of work because she was sure that the, this frequency of this flu the fluorescent lights was like lowering the GABA levels in her body. She was convinced of that. So I understand suffering people will look for any relief. I was one of them. I understand that. But I got to see, like I, I was given a broad spectrum of what everybody was going through, and I got to see a very large number of people who are going through it. And I'm like, okay, the pattern here is time. Nobody's able to fix this. You just got to let time pass. And I let time pass. And I started to, started to get relief. Like my body was starting to find its own levels again. But for a long time there, I was pretty crippled. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was not a good place for me to be. And it was difficult for my family to watch me go through that. I became so dependent upon them. It was really rough. But maybe six to eight months into it, I started to get to the point where I, I made the decision at one point, like, well, I am clearly in pain here, but I could see that it's getting better a little bit, you know, over time, a little bit at a time. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, but I don't have to suffer. I, I learned the difference between struggling, between pain, between discomfort, between fear. 
between impairment and suffering, I decided I didn't have to suffer. So the people on Paxil Progress showed me that I didn't have to suffer. And, and you know, I, I started to change my mindset and I started to say, okay, I can't stop this from happening. I'm just going to wait for it to play out. And, but in the meanwhile, I can just do whatever I can every day to try and handle this the best I can and be as functional as I can. And believe me, I was not nearly as functional as I wanted to be. I was slow. I was, you know, I was not nearly as productive as I would like to be or I am now. But, you know, I said, okay, this is just going to have to be what it is. And I'll just have to wait. I'll just have to wait and do the best I can every day. So I learned to just do the best I could every day and to stop being a victim and, and to stand up and do the best that I could, even when I was not feeling so well. And I was able to accept this is just chemical, but it hasn't killed me yet. And it ain't gonna. Nobody's dying around me here on this giant message board full of people who are sharing my experience. So I'm just going to keep taking one step at a time. And that was really a tremendous, valuable experience. So, you know, the symptoms began to fade. They began to fade. Things started to get better. My emotions started to kind of, you know, level out. My mood started to level out. Even the crazy, intrusive, you know, gripping thoughts about nihilism and existence and death and dying started to lessen. But there are positives that came out of that, to tell you God's honest truth, because it led me down a path where I started to read a lot of different things. At first, I was reading for reassurance. I was reading to try and answer an unanswerable question, and that just made it worse. But then, sorry, I hit the mic. But then I started learning to learn and just expose myself to different ideas and philosophies. And, and I, and that became a good thing that stays with me till now. So I, I saw what it was like to help people who were struggling. I learned that from, from Lori and Lori and, and, and you guys know who you are, if you're listening, like the people who ran that site taught me how to help people. Um, I, I saw the difference between pain and suffering. I saw how you can you can stand yourself up and you can do the best you can every day and that's the best you could do and that was okay. And I started to expose myself to a lot of different ideas and philosophy and thought and faith and, and I'm not I'm not a, a person really of faith but but I learned a lot of things. And by the way, the other thing that was happening when as I was going through all this is I was losing weight fast and furious, which isn't a bad thing because when I took my last dose I weighed 315 pounds. I was crazy overweight. And the weight just started falling off me, just falling off me. Now, I did have stomach issues during withdrawal. I did, but I did not have no appetite either. But I just started eating normally. I mean, I started, I was eating restrictively because I was a little, I was worried that every food was going to make me feel badly. But I wasn't like, oh, I can't eat. I wasn't that guy. So I just started eating a normal amount is what happened. And I wasn't exercising because I was not really capable of that for a while. That, that started kicking in about eight or nine months into it. And my doctor said, I want you to start exercising every day. Be good for you. And I did. I started walking on a treadmill. But at that point, I had been so inactive for so long, I would literally walk on the treadmill at two miles an hour. I mean, two miles an hour. That's crazy slow. But you know what? If all you can do right now is two miles an hour, that is better than sitting on your sofa. So do it. If you can do it, do it. But I, I lost weight fast and furious. I lost 50 pounds in four or five months. Quickly like super quickly. I didn't know what was going on. It was just falling off me as soon as I started taking the medication. I know what happened. My judgment started coming back. Even though I was, you know, emotionally compromised, mentally compromised, physically compromised, my judgment was coming back. My personality was coming back. My emotions were coming back. You know, even in the midst of all that crap, I was able to make a decision to merge the company with another company, which improved the financial situation dramatically. And I started paying down debt and clearing things out and getting things back in order. I mean, those were hard days, but I did start to come back to reality. So there were also positive things happening, and I was learning lessons as I went. 
So, you know, in the end, when I say I would do it again tomorrow, I would do it again tomorrow. I would because, you know, I learned so much going through that. I, I don't, I mean, look, there are probably better ways to learn those lessons. You know, there, there are probably far better ways to learn those lessons, less difficult ways to learn those lessons. But I'm, I'm grateful for the lessons that I learned in that and the people that I met and the friendships that I made. And honestly, if I did not go through that experience, I'm not talking to you now. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not because I'd be dead, but, you know, th- this podcast wouldn't exist. I would not write. <laughs> there would be no community around the podcast. You know, the, you know, people getting together, supporting each other, helping each other. All the people that I see every day that are taking steps forward and recovering and getting their life back, that they, they would have done it without me, I guess, because I wouldn't be doing this right now. So the seeds of all of this were planted then. And that's why, like, you know, there are people that I will never be able to repay. And some of them don't even know who they are. But, you know, the people who were with me during that, people that I've never actually met in real life mean a lot to me. So in the end, yeah, it was a it was a really bad experience. I had a bad experience. So what does that mean for you? Because I know, you know, you don't look, I appreciate that you give me your time and you listen to me every week. I really do. I appreciate that more than you know. But in the end, you're not listening because you just like the sound of my voice or, or for entertainment. I'm not entertaining you guys. You're listening for you. And I get that. That's why I do this. So what does my story mean for you in the end? My story doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be your story. So there are plenty of people, probably more people don't have protracted withdrawal than do. You know, back then, you know, the numbers, we didn't know the numbers, you know, but best estimates were maybe 30, 35% of the people went through something that I did, or maybe even worse. Believe me, there were people on Paxil Progress that had it worse than I did. But I began to realize after a while that there's only so many things that the human body could do. Only so many things, right? So we all shared very similar symptoms and physical sensations. It was the interpretation of it in the end. And, and sometimes the irrational and disordered thought that was uncontrollable because of the chemical issues, for sure. Um, but that really, you know, colored people's experience and I think led them to, to believe that they were worse than they were. I'm not minimizing anyone's experience. I respect every one of those people that I ever came in contact with, whether I was in contact with them for a day or, or, or five years. But uh, in the end, it became an exercise in choosing either, oh my God, this is horrible. This is the worst. Let me examine every sensation and let me try and extrapolate and solve this problem and fix it and try and fix it and get away from it. Or let me just accept what is going on right now. Trust my body to heal itself, which it did. And it was not healing. I hate to say healing, adapt. It wasn't broken. I wasn't broken. I had to change. My, my brain had to change and it did. Brains are amazing. Brains are stupid sometimes, but they're also amazing. Um, and I learned the difference between like the victim mentality which can go on too long sometimes, and a survivor mentality, a learning mentality. I saw the differences there. And the people that adopted surviving mentalities and learning mentalities and were able to accept what was going on and make the best of it no matter what it was. And we all struggled on some days. I struggled on some days. I wanted to give up. But those people wind up having a better time of it. So I'm having a hard time believing that we were just the ones that somehow had less withdrawal. We didn't. We, we learned to manage it a little bit better than some of the others who I had a lot of sympathy for and would root for. And uh, anyway, so that that was the deal there. And then it, things like it, I lost weight. I, I started making good decisions. I built my life back again. I repaired a lot of things. I, I reached out and started like repairing broken relationships. And, you know, it was good. In the end, a lot of good came out of it. It was just a very difficult way to do all that. There would have been a way easier way to do that, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, physical symptoms, mental problems, 
the anxiety and panic came back, depression, mood swings, inability to control my emotions. There were sexual side effects and withdrawal too. You know, I'll touch on that for just a quick second. You know, so antidepressants, one of the common SSRIs, at least one of the more common things is sexual side effects, like lowered sex drive and sometimes an inability or delayed orgasm. Not to get too graphic. And that was definitely a problem while I was on it. But then when you stop taking the medication, and this is reported by a ton of people, then it goes the other way. So like, all, that's all you think about on some days. And then, you know, it's over in like a 16-year-old boy on prom night. Like, wait a minute, that was fast. And that was, it was humorous. I was able to find the humor in it because I'm like, okay, this clearly is, you know, obviously another effect of what's going on in my brain right now. So um, it was just such an interesting thing. And when I look back on it to see the wide range of experiences that a human body can have when you do stuff like that. But, you know, so all that stuff, those were, those were the things that I struggled with without going too deep into it. Um, now when it was all over, don't get me wrong. I didn't come out like, Oh, I'm all good. I'm, I'm fixed. I still had panic disorder. I still had agoraphobic tendencies. I was still a little bit prone to, to, to depressive moods. So I had to deal with all of that. But at least when the withdrawal was over, at least I was on a little bit more firm ground and I can start to tackle that. And I did. And if, and in my first book, you know, an anxiety story, I talked about that. I took you through all of this stuff, but, um, I started, and I, I started dealing with the actual problems after withdrawal. But uh, really and truly, if I look back on it, I started dealing with it during. So my recovery skills, a lot of them were built in the withdrawal process. So there was that positive too. So, all right, let me wrap, let me wrap it up. I don't want to go too much longer than this. Takeaways, go slow. So what, what can you get out of this? If you're going to get off your antidepressant, go slow. It is not a race because I'm going to tell you this. I don't care what anybody tells you. Keep yourself off alternative health websites. Keep yourself off, you know, healing websites. It's not about that. It is not about that. You, you'll be inundated with all kinds of information about flushing it out of your fat cells and getting it out of your body and which medication has the longest half-life. And guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like which one is the worst one, you know, to get off of. And yeah, Paxil seemed to have, people who took Paxil seemed to have a harder time. People who took Effexor had an even harder time. So maybe, you know, maybe there's no hard data on that, but just be super careful about falling into the trap of you have to get, I want it out of my system. You, you don't need it out of your system. Trust me, this is not a, withdrawal doesn't happen because it's still in your system. It's not. Withdrawal happens the best that we can tell right now because your brain no longer has, no longer has a, so it's a manipulating the neurotransmitters in the synapses, right? We don't know the exact thing, but that's what it's kind of doing. We're pretty sure that's what it's doing. And when you take that away, now your, your neurotransmitter levels are kind of all haywire. And those receptor sites have to re-regulate to life after medication. And some people it happens really fast and some people it happens slow. That's just the way it is. Who knows why? We don't know why yet. But it is not about detoxing. It's not about what you eat. It's not about any of those things. So go slow, slow, slow. If it takes you a year to get off your antidepressant, so be it. That's fine. There's, it's not a race. You're not going to get any better by going faster. Go slow. Go slow. Don't get trapped in like trying to fix an, every problem that pops up along the way. Don't get trapped into trying to micromanage your brain chemistry or your hormones. You cannot. Nature was not smart enough to give us the ability to micromanage our chemistry. We'd all be dead. <laughs> we would mess that up in a big way. So don't fall into that trap. And on, you know, you are going to, if you struggle, Unfortunately, if that turns out to be your path, then, you know, you'll struggle, but time, time, your body will know what to do. Time will fix it. 
you know, resist the urge to become the perpetual victim. And another thing that was huge in turning the corner in the way I was dealing with my withdrawal was the day that I said, I cannot live every waking moment shaking my fist at, at pharmaceutical companies. I was so angry. I was so angry. I really did. I felt like they did this to me. Like, I didn't feel like my doctors did it to me because the doctors were being told what they were being told by the pharmaceutical companies. I was angry at those people in a big way. And then one day I said, this is not helping me. Being angry, what was it going to do? So I still am not a fan, don't get me wrong, but I learned to let that go and say, well, let me control the things and let me act on the things that I can act on. And I cannot act on what GlaxoSmithKline did in 1993. I can't. This is out of my control. So resist the urge to, 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 to dig deeply into that sort of victim hole and anger hole also. That's the best advice I could give you. No micromanaging your body. Understand that it may be a struggle that only time will fix. Do your best to like not be a victim. Some days you're going to be a victim. That's okay. We all were. I was. But you can't be a victim every day. Learn to act as if. Even when you think you cannot go on, you can go on. These are the things that I learned in that experience. So hopefully this helps you in some way. I didn't want to get too, too detailed. I could talk about this for hours and hours. But honestly, guys, like now that I've spoken this into a microphone all by myself on a, early on a Sunday morning here, um, I kind of don't want to tell the story again. Like I kind of reached that conclusion. I, I knew I was going to record this this weekend. And I said, last night it kind of hit me. And I said, you know, I don't, I'm going to tell this story now into a mic and then I don't want to tell it again. It's a, it's a very formative period in my life, and it's an important time in my life, but I think I'm kind of done telling the story now. So if anybody ever wants to know, <laughs> they can come and listen to these three podcast episodes and hopefully get what they need. Here you go. Go listen to those. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I wrote about it. Now I talked about it. I think I'm done. And I hope that my experience can guide you, help you, inspire you, what educate you, something I don't know. But again, it was my experience. It may not be yours. I don't know that. And that is it. That is it. As always, I guess if you have questions, I mean, you know, if you're not in the Facebook group, it's the best way to interact with me. Um, it's where I can be most active. I'm, I'm more active on Instagram, but Instagram doesn't give you that discussion thing. So the Facebook group is is good too. So if you go to theanxioustruth.com slash links, you'll find a link to the Facebook group. If you're not in it, go and, and ask to get in. We'll get you in. It's a big group. It's super busy, but that's where you'll find, you'll be most likely to be able to direct, directly interact with me there. At, at this point, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'll post the podcast episode as an Instagram post, a little preview. You can comment there. I can try and answer your comments. That's fine. If you have questions, hopefully I can help you the best I can. But that's it. That's what I have on my use of antidepressants between antidepressant between 1996 and 2005. I appreciate you guys kind of hanging in there with me. While I tell this story, next week we'll go back to like regular recovery topics. I think next week we're going to talk about GAD, generalized anxiety disorder and its drivers. It's going to be a good one. So, um, yeah, that's it. I'll leave you, as always, with uh, Afterglow by my friend Ben Drake, who has a brand spanking new website, by the way. You can now get him at bendrakemusic.com. No more Facebook. He's on Facebook. But go to the new website. It's really cool. Because also, my friend Billy, you guys know Billy from Anxiety United in the UK. He did the website. So it's kind of like a friends helping friends. I dig it. And, of course, if you are, if you have my book, by the way, The Anxious Truth, and you're using it and you dig it, uh, maybe go write me a review on Amazon. That would be super cool. Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast anywhere that you can rate or review it, take a minute and leave us a four or five, five, two, five, five-star review wherever you can. And uh, if you have a, an extra minute or two, write a little review of the podcast because that's what helps other people find it on the podcast platforms. And this is why I do this. So I'm sitting here at six o'clock in the morning telling you like my tale of woe. 
Anywho, thank you guys. I appreciate your time as always. You can listen to Ben for a minute here. And uh, I'm going to remind you, like I have been doing for the last month or two, that uh, you can keep moving forward no matter how bad it is. Keep taking steps no matter how bad it is and whenever you think you can't. Because this is the way. You know you'll never get another chance So go and live your life Yeah, yeah, yeah Push through the pressure like an atom bomb You keep on dancing like it's your last song Makes no difference if you're right or wrong Now you're on your way